from the nation's capital, this is The Screen Lately Show on Choice FM UK. Screen Lately Show on Choice FM UK is brought to you by Clean Home Decor. Get your home looking sharp at clean with a double E homedecor.com. Emmanuel and Claire Anumasigwe with you on Choice FM UK. Good afternoon, everybody, and thanks for listening. From our studios in central London, this is The Screen Lately Show. Two hours of movie talk, TV talk and music inspired by the movies. Thursday afternoons from 4 through until 6 o'clock. We're broadcasting online at choicefmuk.co.uk, on Mixcloud, on Twitch and on the TuneIn app. We're also streaming at bohemiauphoria.com and screenlately.com. Remember to hit subscribe on YouTube for all the latest clips and highlights from the Sweet Lately Show. You can also follow us on Twitter at Screen Lately. You can also find my column at ScreenLately.com. So, here we go then. The start of a brand new era. Thursday afternoons will never be the same again. We're with you for the next two hours with the only show on UK radio. I repeat, the only show on UK radio to bring you big interviews, film reviews and music inspired by the movies. Those of you joining us for the first time, welcome. This is the show where black lives matter, not just on screen, but off screen as well. For the last 20 years, I've been banging the drum about how we should all care about how we're represented. 
whether it's Choice FM UK, The Voice newspaper, Black Filmmaker magazine, Colourful Radio, the British Urban Film Festival, the Screen Nation Awards, Pride Magazine Nigeria, Channels Television News and the Tiwi Collective. It has been the greatest privilege to have played a part in getting that message across. It is my sincere hope that until someone tells me otherwise, I shall continue to bang the drum as passionately as ever. I know that I speak for my wife Claire when I say that we didn't come this far to come this far. And I can't wait for audiences to join us on this new journey where we get to talk for two hours every Thursday about the film and television business with people in the film and television business. We hope that our passion for film, television and music strengthens this station's relationship with listeners and the industry at large. For far too long, you, the listener, has been starved of live discussion and lively discussions on all things film and television. You now have choice at Choice FM UK. We'd very much welcome your thoughts on the three tracks that we're about to play you right now, ahead of our first guest on today's show. to protect you see you through 
Choice FM UK. Come on. I want to dance in the dark. Come on. We're going to light up the night. Come on. I want to dance in the dark. Come on. We're going to light up the night. Under dust, dance in the middle of the night. Can see the night skies in the mirror of your eyes. If you go. Make sure that your heart 
gonna dance in the dark We gonna light up the night I wanna dance in the dark We gonna light up the night I wanna dance in the dark And never stop We gonna light up the night Like shooting in the dark I wanna dance in the dark and never stop We gonna light up the night Like shooting stars Whenever you hear the sound Don't be alarmed Ooh, ooh, ooh Dancing in the dark Email the show news at screenlately.com Tweet at screenlately Text us in the studio on WhatsApp 07548 806-927 The Screen Lately Show on Choice FM UK Johnny Salmon will be with us later this hour to talk about the last 12 months and what a 12 months it has been, by the way. Um, joining us now on The Screen Lately Show is Marcus Ryder, MBE. You were telling me on Twitter the other day about your exploits on the old Choice FM producing their current affairs show. Feel free to tell our listeners about what that experience was like. That was possibly the, the most fun and the most rewarding thing which I've done in my in my career. So what happened is people might remember the Schumann Shuffle. I don't know if you, ha- you have to be kind of 40 plus to, to remember that. So it was a program on a Saturday morning presented by Jeff Schumann. And uh, it was three hours long. It was an hour of music. It was from nine o'clock in the morning, an hour of music an hour where they would interview somebody in the public eye. Um, Back then it was Trevor Phillips or um, whoever. And then it would be a phone-in, an hour of phone-in on whatever the topical um, news of of that week was. And I knew Jeff and I'd actually, I was working at the BBC and I'd done a documentary with Jeff Schumann. And I listened to it and and I said to him, Jeff, I'm really liking your program, really like the fact that you're doing news. That's, that's great. And I said this in all innocence, I said, but I'm not sure it's being produced that well. You know, it, it could be being produced better. And Jeff turned to me and goes, I haven't got a producer, Marcus. I'm, I'm producing myself. So I said, I'll produce it for you. And he goes, all right, cool, come in. And so I came in and I used to produce his show every Saturday morning. And, and it was great. We got... Um, Lots of, got a really large audience. It felt a place, it felt like family. Black people across London talking to um, each other. And we're talking to ourselves with regards to what we felt was important, what was making the headlines. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. It felt like a really important need. And that's why when you asked me to do this, cut a long story short, I jumped at it. You know, it's, it's brilliant. So yes, coming back home, it's, this is a homecoming. Really happy to be with you. Well, great to have you along, Marcus. Now, speaking of current affairs, today are, of course, the local elections, which are happening up and down the country. And the school of thought is that the Conservatives will not perform well at the ballot box, given the negative coverage that they've been receiving in recent weeks. Now, in your opinion, will this have any bearing on the government's plans to sell off Channel 4? Ooh, good question. Um, I try. 
Um, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I don't think so because I don't think the sale of Channel Four is particularly popular. I think all the um, research that I've seen, all the opinion polls that I've seen, it doesn't seem as if there's a massive appetite for for selling Channel Four, and it's not even like back in the day where they're selling it, where there's the possibility of it being shares, um, and uh, you know people you know being able to get rich rich quick this looks like it's going to be sold to um possibly itv possibly um viacom you know so it's it's looking like it's going to be a very um corporate affair so no it's, it's almost a mystery as to what is driving it because it doesn't seem as if it's a popular vote um issue at all no now, part of Channel 4's remit, which celebrates its 40th birthday in November, is to show the sort of public service content, the news, the Paralympics, regional voices, that is largely unprofitable, and then to reinvest those profits into new programming. Now, for far too long, Black and minority ethnic voices have been perceived as unprofitable. Whose responsibility is it, then, to change the language and the culture whenever these discussions come up? It's, it's my job, it's your job. We need to change that. So, and it's also our job to know the history behind it. So um, you're absolutely right with regards to Channel 4 was launched and its raison d'etre was to, and its reason for being, um, was to champion those marginalized voices. But the Communications Act um, of, I think it's, I forget the date now, but it would have been about 20 years ago on the communications that um, then largely undermined that. And so there used to be, uh, in order for the Channel 4 to, um, to meet its license requirements, it had to have a set number of black programs. It had to have a set number of um, education programs. Um, and that has been uh, eroded so that you really just have news now. Um, you do have the Paralympics and what have you, but you, you don't have the Channel 4 people, I would argue that you don't have the Channel 4 of old. You don't have the Channel 4 of Desmond's. You don't have the Channel 4 of, they had a program called Bandung Files, which, or, which um, Tariq Ali, I think, um, produced. You don't have Channel 4 of, with Dark as Howe, or the equivalent now in, in the same way. And so a lot of that is to do with what are the license requirements by law. So it's not that you have good people that want to just, that are just really nice and they want to do nice things. Often it's because there's things in statute, there are things in law and channels have to do this in order to fulfill its license. So it's not as if Channel 4 wants to put um, 60 minutes of the news between seven and eight, they are told that they have to put an hour of news in prime time. You know, so what we need to look at is what is actually in statute. What, what are their license requirements? And the fear is, is that those license requirements to hear the unheard voices like ours has been whittled away. And the fear is that if it is privatized, those license requirements will be whittled away even more. So, so yeah, so that's, that's, the, that's the problem.
So in your view, how, how much uh, did it move the needle in terms of black to front? Did it make any difference? Ooh, um, so I thought black to front was, was really interesting for me. Um, so I remember watching, so it hit me emotionally, if I'm being completely honest. Um, so I remember watching Big Breakfast and seeing, I don't know, did, did you watch, um, oh yeah, obviously. So you saw- The whole know, day, Marcus, I watched the, the whole, whole day. day. The whole yeah. day, okay. Same here. Um, although I didn't watch it on the same day. I, I, watched, I, I went back and watched some of it later. But, you know, I felt quite emotional. So when I watched The Big Breakfast and I saw the black camera crew behind, um, you know, and also when I watched Channel 4 News and I knew that it's the first time, you didn't see it on camera, but it's the first time that any news, as far as we're aware, that any um, major news, television news um, broadcast, that Channel 4 News, that BBC Breakfast 1, 6 or 10 or ITV, major news bulletin, it's the first time that the editor has been black, right? And it didn't fall off air. Um, uh, there wasn't a major disaster. Similarly with Big Breakfast, it didn't fall off air. It was very good. And it made me emotional because I was like thinking, this is how it should be. You know, we can, you, you put us in charge, you put us in positions of editorial responsibility and we deliver. And so there, uh, my emotion was mixed with happiness, but also tinged with, with anger as to why do we need one day or do we have to put on this special day to prove that, you know, that we can do this? We know we can do this. But at the same time, when they turn around the following day or BBC turns around a week later and say, we can't find the black talent, you know, oh, we'd love to, but we can't find the black directors, you know, or we'd love to, but we can't find the black camera person. You know, we can turn around and say, that's nonsense. So hopefully we can use that as ammunition um, to, to increase black representation, both behind the camera and in front of the camera. But in a day and of itself, it's just a day. But if we can use it and utilize it in an interesting way, that's wonderful. Sure. Now, you touched on the BBC there, and obviously it's been an eventful last 12 months for you personally with regards to the BBC, given that you've actually worked for the BBC in a previous life. Can you put into words um, what the last 12 months have been like? And obviously I'm, I'm referring, of course, to that um, infamous job interview, as it were. Um, so I, I assume you're referring to the story that I was blocked from joining the BBC? Okay. Yes. Okay. So this so oh, is, the there, story... is there another story that we don't know about or <laughs> I literally the reason I was um so I was meant to come on this this call at at quarter past um and uh, I was about three four minutes late and it was because I was in a meeting with with the BBC. So I still have lots of meetings with the BBC BBC I have very good relationships um, as an external person, I hate to add, um, with the BBC, but I still have good relationships with the BBC. The, so the story is, is that um, I was 
chosen for a relatively high profile job for BBC Birmingham for um, uh, maybe a choice competitor. It was kind of um, one extra radio one. Um, it was a newsbeat um, program because my heart is news. I'm a journalist at heart. And um, uh, after being in discussions with the BBC about the, about the position, it went quiet. And uh, then a few weeks later, I was then called up by two sets of journalists or two journalists from different publications, um, which then became three. And they asked me what I thought of the story or how I felt about being blocked from getting the job. And it was the first I'd heard of it. So I said, I don't really know what you're talking about. And they told me that they had been leaked information that I'd been blocked from getting the BBC because I was perceived as being uh, championing um, diversity too much. I was perceived as being a campaigner and that would impinge on my impartiality. And I was like, my, so even if that was true, I was like, my impartiality of thinking that black people shouldn't suffer racism and should get jobs. You know, I don't think that's the most controversial stance in the world. You know, and if if I'm not impartial about the fact that black people shouldn't suffer racism and black people should get jobs, you know, yeah, guilty as charged, I guess. Um, and uh, so then I had meetings with the director general, who um, generously denies that I was blocked. Um, and I've had ongoing meetings, and I'm having ongoing meetings with people from editorial policy at, at the BBC who decided the editorial. So um, I'm not sure, it's impossible to know what's said behind your back. It's impossible to know what the um, internal workings of an organization as large as the BBC is. So I doubt I'll ever know the real truth of the story. I can only take people and what they tell me on face value, but I'm hoping that, you know, I'm very happy with the job I have at the Selene Henry Center for Media Diversity. I'm very happy with the stuff I'm doing, writing books and, and what have you. But engaging with the BBC following that, I'm hoping that we'll get something out of it with regards to looking at their impartiality guidelines, looking at what their BBC staff can say and not say about being anti-racist and, and what have you. Because I think the BBC needs a bit of work on that. So I'm hoping something constructive will come out of that irrespective of the truth of whether I was or wasn't blocked. So not only are you a journalist at heart, but you're a good diplomat as well. That's, that's very well done. <laughs> now, well, in the time we've got left, um, I can't let you go before getting your thoughts on Dave Chappelle, who was attacked on stage by a chancellor who was subsequently manhandled by bodyguards on stage. Now, is Lenny planning any stand-up gigs anytime soon? And if so, do you think he needs to get in touch with Dave's security team. <laughs> um, I, um, so often, then he gives um, speeches, not so much stand-up, then he gives speeches um, all the time. So he always asks, um, not always, he often asks me to write a first draft of those speeches. And uh, my speech is normally quite dry. And then he adds the jokes and then I, just last week, I went to an event where he was giving a speech and I thought I'd written it and then I listened to it and I thought, wow, this is hilarious. And it's because he'd put, you know, he'd 
taken my speech, stripped it down to the bare bones and actually made it good as opposed to, um, you know, my, my boy's speech. Um, the, so the short answer is no, he doesn't need security. And the reason why he doesn't need security is we make sure that we punch up, you know, the, the people that need to be mocked and made fun of are the, what we call the, the 3%. And the 3%, in case people don't know, is white, heterosexual, non-disabled men living in London. All right, so I'll repeat that. White, heterosexual men living in London. All right? Those are the people who run the country. Those are the people that disproportionately are judges, disproportionately are, you know, and they make up 3% of the population, right? So we can more than um, make enough jokes about them. And you know what? You don't need security guards for them because they don't need that. They can just um, ruin your mortgage. They can ruin your lives without ever getting violent. So you need to be, <laughs> you need more than bodyguards for that. But yeah. We're making jokes about the three percent. We don't need to make jokes about, you know, people who are already disadvantaged. We don't need to make jokes about women, trans, disabled people, gay people. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave that to other people. Marcus Ryder is the head of consultancies at the Seleni Henry Center for Media Diversity. Marcus, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for being our very first guest on the Screen Lately show. That's awesome. I'm the first. You're the very first. It will go down the, in history. Oh, like, I am definitely, you know what? I haven't got a wiki page, right? I am now going to get myself a wiki page. I don't know if you can write your own wiki page, but that has to be the wiki entry. Not only will it be a wiki entry, we'll put a YouTube clip with the best bits from this interview, which is probably going to be everything anyway. <laughs> so look out for that and make sure you share it and it goes viral no headlines, I don't think, or sound bites to take away, but we'll still put it out there nonetheless. Cool. Marcus, That's thanks good. for having us. Thank you so much. Take care, man. Cheers, Marcus. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, as I travel through this great big country of ours, this US of A, and being on the road as much as I do, I try to listen to a lot of the radio stations. It's amazing how many KISS or V103 stations there are. Jesus Christ, did people run out of call letters or what? Come on. Anyway, most of the stuff on the radio is so sad. It's a drag. One of the reasons could be because every song is about... Oh, you guessed it, huh? Love. 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 L-O-V-E. What the world Not another love song. Now, Dick, check this out. The love that's professed in these songs is shaky anyway. It's a lustful, selfish, into the world love. And the lyrics? <laughs> Have you tried to listen to the lyrics? You heard them all before. My love is higher, fire and desire. Let's stay together forever, despite all types of weather, even a hurricane. In fact, I'd spend a winter in Chi-Town. And 
you know that's cold. Ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to your good stuff. You know it's rough. Emotion, devotion, love, 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 sex, 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 booty, 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 titty, titty, titty. Forget about the courting, let's get married. At the chapel of love, you got me crying, you got me dying. My heart is aflame, and then you came into my life of strife. But now I can go home. You give your love, my dove, my pet, my love, my Sharia more, my little cheese Danish from Junior's. Oh, give me more, more, more on the flow, flow, flow. Oh, oh, oh. It's been a long time. I had given up hope. What a dope, like soap on a rope. I went for the okie dope. You know this is true. He blew. L-O-V-E. S-E-X. I'll be a happy chappy, also nappy. I get the shivers down to my livers. Other guys just feed your lines, but I take it to Mickey D's. Baby, I'm on my knees. Please, baby, please. But this ain't that song. It's getting long. My nature is rising to the horizon. As strong as an ox, like a Clorox box. You're a bad mama jamma. You already know that. Just point me in the right direction. Only you give me that serious connection. Get out of my dreams. And into my car. Wouldn't you like to ride my Mercedes Benz? It's paid for. If not, I also got a pink Cadillac. I got it like that. My love is brewing. My love is stewing. Could it be? Yes, it be. Like a pencil to a pen, like a chicken to a hen. I could have been. If you could have, would have, should have. Love won't let me wait. Come on, baby, I'm double parked. You're so fine, blow my mind every time. Stop on a dime, just in time. As a surprise, you open my eyes. Why? Because I love you. Let me spend the rest of my life with you tonight. If you don't, I'll just roll up into a ball and just die. Won't wash, won't eat, won't even go to work if you don't love me, dude. I'll even give up my four-season tickets to the New York Knicks courtside. L-O-V-E. Let me call you my own. Shower me with your cones. Let them rain down on me like a monster. Let your love come down, flow down, drown me in that stuff. I want to swim in it. Do 20 laps. The breaststroke is my specialty.
Bohemia Euphoria Film of the Week on Choice FM UK. Amplifying the voices and stories of underrepresented people through film. Punk rock's a living thing. It's about turning problems into assets. And as a first generation British born black, that's something I know a lot about. That was the thing about the racial climate in Britain. It was pretty on fire when it came to dealing with the authorities, like the police and stuff like that. And for us, being the generation born and raised here, it wasn't about trying to fit in. We had a different fight. So the Roxy Club is this punk club, and Don was going to be the DJ. One day he just announced, I'm going to get a camera. And from that moment, he was filming practically every band that played there. Don saw it. He was ahead. You know, he saw what they were into, the attitude and what they were trying to say. Now he was involved in this new movement that was happening. The thing about Don was that he was always on a mission to achieve something. And that was the vehicle. Don's place in Forest Hill was great fun. We go there after the Roxy sometimes, driving Don's little car all squashed in and pretend we were big time marijuana smokers. <laughs> we went back to Don's house to hang out and stuff, and lots of people did. You could tell immediately how brave he was, not only because by how he looked, he would stand up for himself. Don was the rebel dread, stirring things up, and to be honest, I actually want to be Don Letts. It's a source of inspiration. Just by looking at him, you could understand the man was coming from a different angle still. Don was the spearhead of making videos in England for black groups. He makes these films from the platform of personal experience. Like you're looking out of his eyes, a black kid growing up with all these different things going on. I do something I feel like it needs to justify the space it occupies. Made films about things that mean something, man, and they can actually help to move things forward. Either speaks to me or it doesn't. This hour of the Screen Lately show on Choice FM UK is brought to you by Clean Home Decor. Get your home looking sharp at clean with a double E, homedecor.com.
Souls to Soul with Keep On Moving on Choice FM UK, a track very much inspired by Jazzy B, whose voice you will have heard during the break, amongst many others, in the trailer for Rebel Dread, the story of Don Letts, first generation black British cultural mover and shaker, filmmaker, musician and raconteur. Letts injected Afro-Caribbean music into the early punk scene and shot over 300 music videos, including for Public Image Limited and Bob Marley, but also for Teen Sensation's musical youth's reggae smash, Past the Duchy. Watch Rebel Dread today by registering your details via the Bohemia Euphoria film streaming platform, where you'll find a cross-section of films and documentaries available to rent or buy, including A Circle Line Train, directed by Martin Venier a film which takes you on a journey into the realms of one woman's psyche as she makes a mundane train journey. For more films and recommendations, visit bohemiauphoria.com. Joining us now on The Screen Lately Show is Adjani Salmon. Adjani can currently be seen in Channel 4's Chivalry, which concludes tonight at 10 with a double bill. Adjani plays Aston, who is Bobby's patient and generous husband. Down on his luck from a failed startup, Aston agrees to move to the tech mecca California with Bobby, hopeful to reinvent his career. Bobby is played by Sarah Suleimani, who co-wrote the series with Steve Coogan, who also stars with Wanda Sykes, Sienna Miller and Lolly Adafope. There are six episodes in total, which you can watch on Channel 4's streaming service, 4 On Demand. Born in Jamaica, Salmon started out as an editor in Jamaica's reality-dominated TV industry, mainly on Mission Catwalk, the Caribbean edition of Project Runway, before moving to London to follow his filmmaking ambitions. Once again, he found himself studying in the capital at Met Film School, having already done an architecture degree at the University of East London, and was soon making his own web series, Dreaming Whilst Black, which was adapted last year and aired as a BBC pilot in April 2021. In it, he plays a frustrated movie maker toiling in an office job. But Salmon only cast himself to avoid paying a proper actor. Good afternoon, Ajani. How are you doing, man? It's good to be here. Now, before we go any further, if you did have 10 times the budget for Dreaming Last Black, I'm intrigued to know who you would have cast for the role instead, to play yourself? Um, no, so I didn't think about it at all. Um, to be honest, you were just writing. I don't tend to think too far ahead as I feel like to think too far ahead in film is to create, is to think of obstacles. So we were just writing the show and it was only when it got to, you know, starting to think about, okay, you know, we might film this, you know, who do we have or, you know, actors and, it became just that thing of wait, hold up, we're going to have to pay an actor to like to do this whole thing. Where we're going, where we're going to get our money from? And incidentally, we filmed when we filmed the first two episodes as a tester. The lead actress, like it was, it was in November, and we filmed the two episodes, and then obviously there's a Christmas break. But, you know, she was like, oh, the work guys are going to Nigeria for Christmas, you know, I'll see you guys in January. I was like, yeah, yeah, cool. And only for January to come and we're like, hey, we're wondering when you're coming back. Nothing. WhatsApp, message, email, everything. Nothing, no response. 
only for like February for her to say, oh, by the way, guys, I think I've moved to Nigeria. So like, sorry. Okay. Uh, so we had to reshoot those. And that was the first two episodes we shot and we had to reshoot those episodes. So from then on, that was already like, yo, like we need to just use people who we can get, you know what I mean? So it was, yeah, but it was purely based on budget. So how much would you say that the storyline in Dreaming Whilst Black was a factor in you getting the gig on Chivalry? Um, I don't know, to be honest. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure it did. I think Aston's quite a different character to Kwabena. Um, We have different, well, you know, Kwabena's British Jamaican and Aston's Jamaican. And I think it was more just getting on the radar of the casting director, more so than anything else. Now, the year started off for you with a bang, appearing in Eve of the Daleks on Doctor Who. Tell me what the experience was like working on a show like Doctor Who. Yeah, no, funny enough, I did not know the magnitude of Doctor Who till I got there. You know, it was a show that I knew, you know, when I came up for uni. You know, you, I don't know, you watch Doctor Who when you're eating dinner or something like that. And, you know, but then I moved back to Jamaica, so, and, and you know, we don't have it. It's an air in Jamaica like that. So, yeah, it was only when I got there, when I got to, to Wales and seeing the set and seeing the grandness of everything that I realized I was thinking, okay, this is, this is, this is a massive deal. <laughs> like, you know, and really understanding the magnitude of the show and the power of the show and how many fans are on the world. Like there were, there were fans like waiting outside just by the, the, the parking lot, just to see Jody and them come in, come in, right? That's it, they're just, just to drive past. There were fans there. And that's when I realized, I was like, okay, this thing is, this thing is different, you know? But yeah, no, it was, it was it, like being on set and feeling it, I really like, felt the, the 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 gravity of what I was doing. I was in the company of TV director Abigail Danqua the other day, and she was telling mm. me about her overriding emotions in becoming an RTS award winner, an award which you also had the distinction of winning this year mm -hmm. in the breakthrough category. Yes. Take me back to that evening of what your overriding emotions were. Um, you know, it's 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 weird because I try not to, I try not to hinge my happiness on awards, you know, um, because, and I guess I can say, I have the privilege of saying that as somebody who's won a lot, you know, like the web series won 36 awards from 32 festivals. So by that point, I wasn't used to not winning at all. Like, you know what I mean? Um, but there was something weird about the RTS award because it felt like the first time I was being, the first time I was being put on this, the stage of like the industry, you know, and I've always been this, you know, I'm just this independent filmmaker doing my little thing on YouTube or doing my little thing in film festivals and not really, you know, whereas this was like now me on the big stage. And so there's this weird nervousness, but also, and I don't know why actually, because I didn't think I would have won. 
which is weird because you know you know and Jana's a fantastic Callum's fantastic like the actors all the actors in the category are fantastic and you know they all have full shows whereas remember so I'm just there with a pilot you know so you know when I won it was it was yeah it was it was this weird feeling of oh the industry the industry does recognize what we're doing and and yeah no that was nice that was nice. <laughs> it was good it was good it was good it was good and but at the same time like i said in my in my speech i was thinking you know like this is for the people who who've been supporting me from day one you know so yeah no it was great it was it was it was a fantastic night and then from that experience to the BAFTA experience, putting towards your emotions on that night, which is now just only a few weeks ago. Yeah, no, that was a bit, it's funny, that was kind of surreal, like it wasn't really happening. Because again, I remember saying to my agent Christian, I was just like, look, we just needed NAM. We're not really pressured the award right now. We just wanted NAM. So anytime my name come up, you have to say BAFTA nominee with my name. Or you have to say BAFTA with my name. So then, funny enough, I wasn't nervous at all. I was just kind of just chilling. I was just like, look, I'm here for the free liquor and the free food, you know what I mean? It's vibes, I've, I've, we've done the job by getting here, you know? So when they called my name and it was the first category as well, I was just thinking, oh, <laughs> I'm Ewan. <laughs> I was like, wow, whenever they look, whenever they really appreciate, but yeah, we give thanks. Um, but that's why, again, it's like, you know, using the platform. That's how I was like, look, man, look, like, I'm here and I'm not Munya, I'm not Michael Dapper, I'm not Kaede Wumi. Like, you know, I didn't go viral. I'm not some viral sensation, you know what I mean? But I still make good content. As sure. you can y'all just gave me this award. So like, yeah, that's what I was kind of, I was just like, man, just look out for the next people, you know what I mean? Like they're, that's why I don't know why that just came to me. I was just like, man, like it's such a shame that I'm here when so many other people before me should have been here. Like people whose web content who I looked up to should have been here. Right. I'm the one here. So yeah, it just felt like, yeah, that's why I was just like, oh, I have a mic. Let me just say something. And so, yeah, it was more, more. So, yeah, it was only like way after Marilia processed the facts, uh, like what this, what a BAFTA means, you know? So, yeah, no, it was quite surreal. Many congratulations. Thank you. Secondly, tell me about your family's reaction to the news. I trust that you told um, Cordella, who I had the fortune of meeting yeah. last year. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was congratulations all around, and you know, but it's funny because I guess my family in Jamaica don't really know, like, they don't really understand, you know what I mean, it's, it's media, right, and so like them know the Oscars and the Emmys, and I even had one cousin be like, yo, congrats, cause like, so like, what is a BAFTA? <laughs> and I was like, yo, well, this is like an Emmy, basically I've won an Emmy. And they're like, yo, sick. Da, 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 da. So, you know, it's, 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 it's nice, it's great. And it's humbling as well to know that actually, no matter what I do here, people, some people might just be like, oh, okay, that's well done. 
you know what I mean? That's good. But no, obviously my godmother was like over the moon and my family here obviously was, it was great. It was a fantastic time. Now Cordella also filled me in on what the future holds for Dreaming Whilst Black. And this was back in November. So I've known for quite a few months and there have been reports online about the future of Dreaming Whilst Black. Can you officially tell us what's in the works? I cannot. We're trying to figure it out still. Um, I do think that the BAFTA has, I hope the BAFTA has swayed minds, but we're still waiting to, to receive confirmation of the, of the green light. So that is where we are now. But I, 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 I'm hopeful. I mean, what more you want from me? <laughs> Last year, you won an award at MIPCOM TV. Yes. What more do you have to do? That is the question. That is the question the people want to know. The people want to know what more. I said MIPCOM, RTS, BAFTA, Doctor Who, Chivalry, like, yeah, yeah. But as, as we know how the machines work, you know what I mean? It's a big, it's an age-old age machine, right? So, but hopefully. Ajani, thanks for joining us and many congratulations on all your achievements over the past 12 months. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. The next voice you will hear at the top of the hour will be Claire Animosigwe with more movie talk, TV talk and music inspired by the movies. The Screen Lately Show continues after this. Engine running. 
lift off, taking my coat off. Showing my tattoos, I'm such a show off. Huh? I feel the pain of letting it roll off. I got the whole city, they about to go off. How many is with me up in India? How many people wanna roll on me? Week.com. Go online for choices galore and more. Hey, welcome to Choice FM. It's Claire and I'm with you. Good afternoon from our studios in central London. This is the Screen Lady Show. Two hours of movie talk, music inspired by the movies. Thursday afternoons from 4 to 6 pm. Welcome to the second hour, which we like to call the other half. With the other half. Broadcasting online at choicefmuk, screenlately.com, bohemiauphoria.com, Mixcloud and Twitch. And remember to hit subscribe on our YouTube for all the latest clips and highlights from the Screen Lately show. You can also follow us on Twitter at Screen Lately and Instagram at Screen Lately. It's 
0208-806-927 for the WhatsApp number where you can live chat with us in the studio here at Choice of Home UK. That's 07548 806 927. You can also email us at news at screenlately.com or you can send us a tweet right now at screenlately. So today I've got an extremely amazing guest. This is my first guest. This woman is so special and dear to me. I'll I'll explain why as the show goes on. Let's see if we can get her on the line. You all good? Hello, gorgeous. How are you? Fine, beautiful. How are you today? Not too bad, thank you. Good. So lovely to see you, connect with you. Likewise, likewise. Like, it's like family, but it's sad because I've not seen you for so long. Well, we've been doing that. This is life. This is this it. Is... This is, these are the days that we prayed for. Yeah. <laughs> spoke about, do you know what I mean? At the top of last decade. Of course, of course. So much has happened because obviously we met when obviously you were still acting, still acting now, being in the game for so long, a treasure. And I was Dr. Claire. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) I'm saying, so there's been this massive journey for me, but through that time, it's lovely to look back whilst moving forward. Yeah. Looking at my peers like yourself, also a big sister to me. Of course. And almost because of the show, revisit some of those. Do you know what I mean? Because absolutely, there was a time where I was like, "It's Karen Bryson," and then you get comfy, like, "Oh, that's my big sister, Karen." Of course. And then we did that magazine together. You were the of course. Do you know what I mean? And then yeah, yeah. Lose touch. We start working. I'm getting married to the. So let's just pick back. Congratulations on this show. Thank you. Thank you Fantastic. so Fantastic, both of you, really. You. Oh, bless you. Bless you. You know, sometimes, Kate, it's, it, it, there's almost like, what's the purpose? And there's always a purpose, I think, yeah. when it's community-led. Of course, yeah, exactly. You're right, you're absolutely right. So is that what the kind of two-year gave you? Well, there was so much went on. You know, I was amazed at, I mean, I try and find a positive spin on everything. And one of the things that frightened me um, in all that isolation were things like, okay, so we are, I mean, it was extraordinary. It felt like a film, this kind of dystopian universe where um, a virus is attacking the world. I mean, there was that weird, bizarre thing. But seeing photos, for example, of Venice, um, canals clean or beaches wow. that hadn't been destroyed and right. m- messed up yeah and then of course there was the whole Black Lives Matter if yes. this was in another time I mean it's really horrible what happened um, if this was in another time I don't think people would have had the space or time right. because we all know that this went on oh, yeah. firstly we've got cameras phone cameras so there you go there there it is in there you know, is. black and white yeah, yeah. moving image but the fact that people had a moment to take stock, think about it. You know, my reaction to all that, for example, is firstly, I felt gaslit. So there was a moment where I went, how long? Many, 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 many years I've had. Are you sure you're not overreacting, Karen? Are you sure it's about that? Are you sure? Look. So there was a moment with all of the negative that came out of it 
out of that whole COVID period. There were many things that we needed to stop still and think about. 100%. That mass distraction that we yeah. have now that we're sort of post-pandemic and we're all jumping back on our own little treadmills, maybe doing things slightly different because now we are more woken as a whole globe. But I think you're absolutely right. There was nowhere to run that nine-minute video. That Disgusting. Just, I, don't, I don't even think I've ever watched it for the full nine because I couldn't, I'm too sensitive. You know me, yeah. I'm yeah. a cafeteria, you're Pisces. Yeah. We're, yeah. Ready. we're yeah. watching them type of videos about busting tears. Yes, we horrible. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. and it just really made me feel because Karen, I my daughter just turned one, lavender, right? So you've and got a daughter. Karen, I've got two babies. Oh my God, wow. This is what I'm saying, how I was like, Kay doesn't even know. No. Congratulations. How cute. Thank you. So Lavender turned one a month before we went into lockdown. Wow. Lockdown happened. Three months in, I get pregnant with my second daughter, Eden, whose birthday was this weekend. And in that time, we have Black Lives Matter. And I think it does make all the difference, no disrespect to you or anybody else, when you have children or yeah. you're in a caregiving situation. Sure. In front of our very in front eyes. In front of our very eyes. And the thing is, if we didn't have the footage and, and talk to me on this, Kay, because this show is yeah. about talk. So we have been trained and conditioned to ask, what did he do? It's terrible. We did not see that footage. Yeah. We're asking. Yeah. Maybe he did steal them. This is what's what disgusting. The dollar fake yeah. but yeah. and we will, we will all make excuses somehow, some way, until it happens to you. Yeah, it's just terrific because, like I was saying, one of the things that I felt, apart from being absolutely flawed, mm. is there was a sense in my mind of slight vindication. So, in George Floyd's name, this is not in vain and we cannot let his murder be Mm -hmm. in vain we need to take steps and move forward this cannot be a movement for a moment so throughout my growing up throughout my life I have had instances of microaggressions right the way through to blatant in my face racism whether it's at work or whether I was a kid whether it's at school or the schooling system which we can go on to child queue a bit later But I've had instances where I could mention it at the time to the point where there was a period in my life when I'd shut my mouth and it was about learn to pick my battles. And that's one of the greatest things I learned probably in my 20s. I can't be angry at everything. But what I felt as a a result of of what happened with this whole Black Lives Matter was there was a vindication. We were gaslit. How many times have you had, Claire, are you sure, Claire, that that was, you know, based on race? Are you sh- you're not overreacting, are you? And we que- because of those questions to us, when we've spotted something, yes. it comes over as the whole thing of, oh, maybe it was me, or maybe I'm overreacting, or maybe I'm... Yeah, so thought- and that leads me beautifully onto monochromatic. Bless. Right? Yeah. So I, I heard, because Emmanuel said you'd reached out. Yes, I did ago now so time is yeah great. yeah end of last year we actually shot it to see yeah because i i go on imdb pro for my news about and i saw that it's in post-production yeah yeah and weirdly yeah. speaking of that it was 
sorry? Writer director. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely, absolutely. And not only that, it was speaking of segues, it was born out of my frustration. I didn't know where to put it. And one of the things I got thinking about, I wrote something many, many moons ago in a particular way. And this came up and it came up because somebody wanted to talk to me about something else I'd written. And I said, I don't really want to touch that yet. It's not where I want it to be, but I've got another idea, blah, 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 blah. Um, Then it took uh, the producer and I to start talking. Mm -hmm. Um, I sent her a synopsis of my ideas and did a whole load of research because actually in the 70s, I was a very young child and this is set in 1977. So I looked back at all of my sort of growing up pictures and whatnot and what I slightly remember of it. Mm. And my point was, is I wanted to evaluate how much had changed. I also wanted to evaluate the moment that I realized I was black and that my, uh, and that my blackness is a problem. And Claire, I did some research before with my black mates. Every one of us have got a story, whether it's our parents made us understand slowly or it was a thing. But if you think about the way we're born and how we hang out and do what we're doing, we are children. We're kids. We have no idea or concept. All of that stuff happens because life hits you and the people around you inform that. Nature does not make anybody predisposed to being a racist. No, well, I, I tell you that for free because I drop my kids off to nursery every day and it's only now with the crayons. Yeah. Now starting to say we're brown. Yeah, yes, yes. She's old. Yes. I've never told yes. her she was brown. I just tell exactly. her princess, beautiful, smart, yeah. intelligent, yeah. affirmations, yeah. right? I don't mention her race because then we're going to need to lead on to your light, your dark. That, and that is where the film, so what it is, is basically right. a little girl growing up in the 70s. Oh, yes. And it's it's basically about the moment she realises. She's got a little best mate, Wendy. She's six years old. She's always had the affirmations from her mum that she's amazing mm-hmm. um, and she's beautiful. Yes. Going about her business. But a series of things where her mother was trying to protect her. Because back in the 70s, one could argue it was a lot more blatant um, on every wall. I can remember asking my mum, what's NF? And her not, I don't remember an explanation about it. I remember her trying to say something and then swiftly moving on. Mm-hmm. But the, the parallels I'm kind of making is I, you know, found a load of photographs from my research of walls just in London with the most obscene scriptures which now we have twitter for the haters but i mean wow. obscenities the new wall, the new wall. Yeah, yeah n words out go home you name it sprayed or um no black painted no on walls it was like decoration sure. and sure. the parallels i was trying to make is okay so how much have we actually moved on really you know we, we say microaggressions is it less blatant mm-hmm. eh, sometimes Sometimes. Maybe, yeah. What's going on politically? Remember when the, our three lads in the World Cup? Hello. Hello. Fifteen black people were stabbed that night in in there East London alone. There you go. So the point is, is from a child's perspective, is that's one thing you can't deny. And the way I've shot it, or the way I 
I wrote it is mm -hmm. specifically through her POV. Nice. So you only see little grace in reflections, which is quite 70s anyway. Yeah. Because um, I think it's important you see her face and then mm -hmm. let the rest, your imagination take you it's until you see her reflection again yes. until the end. Yeah. Um, because you can't deny there's something about when you put a child in a situation, not that I was doing it to be manipulative, that was just, I was brought back to the 70s growing up when I was, whole Black Lives Matter. I mean, I was floored, Claire, seeing the likes of John Boyega crying big tears, seeing, Ooh. yeah, seeing united, a united front, seeing allies, seeing people taking the knees all over the UK. And one of the things that's important is we've always had allies, yeah. but it just can't be for a moment. This has oh, got, I mean, it's always been that way, but have we moved up yet? Yes. So there's an interesting thing. So it's yeah. set in sort of wood green area. Here's the thing. So in 1977 on St. George's Day, mm -hmm. um, in Wood Green, there was Wood Green High Street, there was the penultimate National Front March. Now, there was a protest, they knew it was coming, and the councillor of Harringay at the time was a young Jeremy Corbyn. And he said to the police, can you stop this march? And they said, no, they've got a right to march. I've got photographs of Jeremy Corbyn with police guarding the National Front guys, blatant, on Wood Green High Street with them flags, ah, ah, la, 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 doing all that. What he'd done is he got locals, young TUC, the burgeoning anti-Lancy League, which I think there was about five of them at that point. Mm -hmm. He got locals, this area has always been um, diverse, yeah. So local shop owners, the young black community, young Turkish, young Greek community to get rotten fruit, flour. He taught students in Duckett's Corner. They were practicing smoke bombs in Duckett's Corner before the march, because what they did is 3000 strong allies. I don't want to cry. Came out and stopped that march, disrupted that march, wow. disrupted it. Mm. And only a few of them ended up further up on Palmer's Green, but literally they were going to do the whole thing. They were disrupted by 3,000 strong going, get out, get out, we don't want you, Nazis out. What then happened was there was one more in Lewisham, and that was the last time, and the NF lost their stronghold politically in London. In fact, they dissipated and became BNP and other factions, but they were getting, they were getting somewhere. It was a very scary time in sort of 76, 77, as they were creeping their way into London areas. Wow. Yeah. The thing about the heroes is the heroes aren't just the ones that we hear about. The yeah. heroes aren't just the ones, yes, we need them and I adore them and I respect them and I love them and I always will. But the story is very rarely told of just the ordinary folks who were told to keep their head down, yes. get the kids in as much edu as education as much as possible as a way out, just yeah. get an ordinary family yeah. trying to protect your kid until you have to tell them this is the reality of the world. Um, I'm, a headline of an article last week, black parents are having to have difficult conversations about racism. Oh, it's only now then. No, that has been on for 40, 50 years, as long as we've been in this country, 60 yeah, years. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And it's only now, and this is why we've got to keep the momentum going because it is a thing. And you with your children, your two lovely babies at some point. I know. 
I know, it feels like it's looming, especially because of, you know, how me and Emmanuel are, the work that we're doing. Yes. We're, we're talent in our own right, but there is almost, you know, we're looked upon as community leaders. Yeah. We always have been, whether it's been me, Dr. Claire, or Claire, the filmmaker, writer, director, through Bath, you know, and people like yourself. This is why we wanted to do this show. I'm so glad you're my first guest, because you oh, just- Oh, I'm, I'm chuffed as well. I just feel like you've just, I've just let you, just let the lid off because- Yeah, I'm like- no, Because it's beautiful, because you just don't know, is it me? Am I the only one that feels- I like thought that. Claire, I thought exactly the same, same thing, I swear to you. Props, wigs, and yeah. So I'm just like, so what, are we just like, no, no, we don't talk. Like no one's- We don't talking. talk anymore. That's the point of monochromatic. I want to, because I write about other stuff that's not, that just have black people in it because we're also uh, human beings with foibles and personality. Yeah. Like, she did no shade. So now, she, no, no, no. I write everything. I write yeah. everything. Yeah. It's yeah. just, that was my first thing because it was so prominent in my spirit to bring to the screen at that time. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's yeah, like, absolutely. In, it was a, not easy, because making any film is not easy. But it, but it sparked conversation, Claire. That's yeah. the amazing thing. That's what film does. does. That's right. That's right. That's and the conversation. Your film is going to do that. But I think the Black British experience and our diaspora is not very well documented. And I yeah. think, therefore, we as filmmakers, if we can, yeah. if we have the budget, if we have the means at the time, and can make those, you know, films that really reflect on our journey thus far. Then yeah. Because now you've just created a film that I can show to my daughters. I and hope so. I can't yeah. do all the heavy lifting by myself. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know I mean? It's extraordinary. Wow. So well, Because also I put in it bits that, yeah. I put in it moments where it's going to hurt people's teeth, but it's the truth. So there was a, there was a, um, a uh, clip, if I understand rightly, mm. from Whoopi Goldberg, uh, a clip of her doing a comedy act where she was talking about her growing up in America. Okay. And she's older, again, than me, but her putting cardigans on her head or a towel, I think I she said, that. and doing that. I did that. Exactly. Thank right. you. I don't know. And I, same here. Ask me to. But I knew my hair was short or it was shoulder length, the African string plaits that yeah. I had to do. And I needed to, I felt like I wanted to fit in with our neighbours who were, yes. they had NF written on their balcony. Yes. And we used to stand on our balcony and we used to sing Kylie Minogue or Jason Donovan. Yes. Especially for yeah. <laughs> Listen, I did. I want to be Kylie. Because yeah. Jason loves her and Jason's in Neighbours. And yeah. I'm an actor when I'm older, yeah. obviously. Exactly. You know I mean? So it was already perpetuated. It was an unspoken thing. Yes, it was. Classic, but it was very obvious that we yeah. were being conditioned to not be 100% yeah. happy about who we are. Yeah, because the role models weren't there. That's so. Right. One of the, there's a moment in there about with a doll okay. and she gets a black doll, which is a kind of rare mm -hmm. thing that her parents, because this isn't about socioeconomic anything. This okay. is about hardworking family, very mm -hmm. similar to mine, where they worked their asses off and they had an, an, a, a lovely house, mm -hmm. small but lovely, neat, mm -hmm. tidy, nice little garden, bringing their child up nice. 
She gets a black doll. She doesn't want it. She's seen a little girl with a, um, back in those days, it was called Cindy and not Barbie, uh-huh. with the long blonde hair hanging down. Yes. And there's a mo- So that whole thing, yeah. the tightly intricate, complex thing of yeah. self-loathing. Yeah. There was something I saw on Twitter mm. and there's a line at the end, which is quite questionable. Um, not questionable at all, it's heartbreaking. And when people have read it, people said, oh, right, was that just the 70s? Uh, No, I put the line in because I saw a thread on Twitter of somebody, a well-respected guy, saying that his child had come home after racial abuse twice at school and said, I don't want to be black. I know. And people think, oh, was it Cornwall? No, no. Was it London? Where was it? Birmingham. You know what? It's so dread because that's a big community, massive, community, massively diverse community as well. Yes, it has been. It's not like it just got diverse. No, always exactly. There, Wolverhampton, Bristol, Liverpool, exactly. Black and Asian community, exactly. So than London, exactly. So twenty twenty one for the racism. I really don't like. It's just, and that's the whole thing about going, this is as present as it was then. You know, one could argue things are a bit more subtle or you could argue it's not, depending on the experience. But when I saw that, my heart broke. What was the quote? 2021, he actually went home crying and said, I don't want to be black. And that's the result of the self-loathing that can start to happen. And as a child of eight years old, you just want to fit in. He doesn't realise his power just yet. What all he's realising is that you've got people calling him whatever they're calling him or racially abusing at school, and he feels like a, he's left out. Yeah. So a child's psyche will say, I want to fit in and be friends. Yeah. You know, I don't see so-and-so, Mr. Caucas- little Caucasian kid or whatever, being yeah, teased in the same way. Exactly. How painful that is for a child to know. Clothing, your hair, yeah. your- even your features, which does yeah. sometimes feed into the race, but to know that this something that you can't wash off. There you go. Your inherent beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I'm I mean, there were many, there's many stories. I had a story from somebody who is slightly younger, uh, not not a child. He's um, little younger than you, early thirties, mm-hmm. and you know the trope is. Uh, not even a trope actually this is real life because trope sounds like it's boring and it's cliche it's not it's just that we've heard it many times where a child um, white kids have tried to rub off take their black friends and put them in under the um, toilet and wash see if it rubs off washes off you see I actually had someone saying to me he did it himself he was trying to wash off his own Asian guy wash off his own brown children from the age of one to seven copy everything there you go so his white counterparts are learning that at home someone is telling yeah. at home that yeah. that person is wrong less than da, 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 because of such yeah exactly he wasn't born like that we're not born racist they no. learn behavior it's learned behavior yeah. someone's yeah. told them that and suggested that they've yeah. been watching things and then they repeat it and it's so dread that you should talk about <clears throat> uh, black Barbies and different things because my daughters have got black Barbies. And I'm like, I couldn't get one when I was yeah. like, yeah. 
So because yeah. Bobby's got exactly the type of hair texture, so they don't see their hair as a problem in their exactly their exactly bantu knots or their doo doo plaits. Exactly. Me, this is, and when I'm at home and I'm not working and I've got my cane rows and my afro yeah, me too, and my wigs. Yeah, me has variation. She yeah. does her hair however she needs. Yes, to. I agree. Uniform requires. Yeah, you know I, mean? I agree. I and agree. I that's 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 freedom, and that's yeah. that's a gift. But you're right, you know, because even us, we are in the throes of moving up to the Midlands, and that is one of the like little things. We were just about to go and get, you know, a bus into town just to see the local town centre where we're moving, and mm. bus didn't stop for us. <gasps> and there's not another bus for another hour. So we're like, do you know what, Uber? And now I'm not even going to wait for the bus came. I'm just going to no. get. Because she yeah. knows that we were literally like hand out. They seen us there with the girl, room, just, oh my gosh. And my friend who just came to have to look at the new house of us. Yeah. She was driving and she parked. She said, Claire, I parked just, and I, they didn't let you on. And I was like, this is what I'm saying, Tash. I don't know, babe. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think often we're moving. <laughs> this don't happen in London. Like, I, I have, do you know, and then I was like, right, driver's license. Why am I not driving? Because I'm yeah, good for you. London my whole life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Driving or an Uber. That's it. Yeah. I'm not yeah. even going to, because I've got a lot of things that I need to do. Yeah. I don't need that passive aggression. No. I'm just going to avoid what I can. You know, the neighbours are already looking over their garden. You know? Oh, my gosh. And it did. It took me, like, I was back in the 70s. Yeah. So I'm already, like, thinking, okay, maybe I need to, like, break them in, you know, give them a box of chocolate, let them know who we are. So I was watching something called Love Thy Neighbour with wonderful um, Rudolph Walker as part of research, looking at costumes and whatnot, whatnot. And it's that premise Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where he is so wildly inappropriate. The guy next door was so wildly inappropriate. And weirdly, as an an actor, that white actor is is so not that, but he portrayed that and he had difficulty working afterwards. but, But that whole premise of, oh, the black family moving in. So some of the photographs I found in research was by um, a couple of photographers. There's one white photographer who was a, da- a ballet dancer and took his camera to Russia, blah, 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 cut to. He decides he enjoys being a photographer, so starts taking random sets of photographs and, you know, starts doing exhibitions. Now, there's one series of photographs he's, he's done called The Black House. Do you know what it is? It's basically in Islington, Nice. There was a house, I have to laugh. There was a house that had four stories. And back then, early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, you'd have families practically living in one room each. A couple in one room, another couple with a small baby, just trying to look after each other as some are coming over, et cetera, et cetera. The locals called it the Black Ass. And that's the Black Ass. (laughs) <laughs> because it's the one with all the black people in it. Right. There you go. Even so it became, oh, the black cast. The black hat, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so maybe because I'm the I'm the end terrorist house. Maybe I'm gonna be the black house now. <laughs> Let's do the conversation. Congratulations on the split. The last oh, time you. you you were actually on BBC for cuffs. 
So you're back. Oh God, that was a while ago. Oh God, that was a real good while ago. Yeah. Time ago. See, documenting, you know, your your catalogue. And obviously again, looking on IMDb Pro, I've seen that you've been doing the Justice League. I watched the intent at the cinema, the intent too. Where you okay. the police officer sergeant. I watched Bulletproof, Paul Ashley. Of and, course. Um, and you was playing a, a, a lawyer in the season. Yeah. Who's there. What's been your sort of favourite piece of work that's come out over the last two years, two, three years? I've got, right, so I really loved the splits for lots of obvious reasons. Um, I have always and I'm going to touch some wood because it's really important to me, mm. that I, I can sleep at night. So there's things I've turned down because mm. I don't like where it's coming from and you can okay. smell it. Okay, okay. I remember many moons ago, mm. sorry, going on to this whole thing, I just slightly, going to an audition and it was to play the mum of a kid. She wasn't the main thing. It was the, the kids were the, the young people were the main thing. Mm -hmm. and she had an accent, an African accent. So I did my piss. I said, oh, by the way, do you want it less or a bit more? Because I could be more authentic. I was just trying to calm it down a little bit. She said, um, no, 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 the accent's great. Could you be more, more what? More, I said, more what? <laughs> yeah, she went red. Because <sighs> it's not going to be my blackface. We should have ended the interview then. Obviously, I didn't have the guts. This is some time ago, but I didn't have the guts to say, do you know what? This isn't going to work. Thank you for your time. I'm going. It was just a complicit moment between us when I asked her twice and she couldn't answer and her face went red. You want me to do some stereotypical bullshit? I have to sleep at night. I don't need the money that much. And if I did, I'd go to Tesco and pack shelves. I need to sleep at night. Wow. I can't do that. You're not going to get that out of me. And that's what I've tried to do with my career. So there are moments, for example, with the Justice League, which was a fight to get it to the screen. Because the first one, mm. it was butchered. And the 2017 okay. release. Okay, is that what happened? Yeah. Okay. Basically, another director took over. Right. And did oh, some mess. So, like, Zack Snyder's. Justice League. Yeah. Yes, a lot of stuff was cut from the cinematic release. A lot of stuff. They turned the colour up. They did, I don't know what they did with it. Zack Snyder has got a way of working. He's edgier. His um, shots, the, the um, cinematographer, they work with, it's just a beautiful way of doing it. Not only that, the cast was diverse. Not only that, the heart of the movie was Cyborg. And that 2017 one, everyone thought, I don't understand it. Where's Cyborg? Yeah, because they cut most of the, the black superheroes character out. I mean, it was <laughs> horribly butchered. And the fans, big hardcore fans went, sorry, this doesn't make sense. You've offered this up to us. We're not playing. And so there were whole rumblings about the Snyder Cut. Right. Hashtag release the Snyder Cut. These fans up and down across the world fought wow. for it wow okay yeah and yeah. lovely Zack Snyder um didn't take a penny for doing his version put all the stuff together and oh. there were people going does it exist he had reels so once the, it started to pick up momentum the movement he'd show reels going yeah it does exist wow. so that was the fans going no we're not interested in that butchered version you offered up and then as a 
as it transpired, there was a whole load of politics that went on that's been in the press. Like, um, I've not, not looked that up, the stuff that's in the press, but yeah, that I'm it, not surprised because film is so messy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it people totally see is. Result and they go, oh my God, it's such a beautiful film or show or whatever. But the ins and outs behind the scenes of making a project and actually getting it finished. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Because people just move mad. Yeah. Now, I don't know about your experiences, and I, I know you would probably share them with me off air, but you're just like, are you, are you all right? <laughs> so how is this <laughs> <laughs> I keep I find myself asking that question a lot like is everything all right with you yeah that we're yeah. just to do this scene why are you behaving like that yeah and I mean your film was a short my film was a feature mm. talk to me about directing as a black female did you find maybe because your story was quite a small story and you weren't working with so many different actors but I've got a book coming soon and it's about being a first timer. And this is your first time writing and directing. And first time, I think what I learned, one of the learnings was that I needed to actually raise my voice. I found that people were like, so used to dealing with men that they were like, a woman is calling the shots to the point where they would look at Emmanuel. <gasps> whatever she said, do it. It's her film. Yeah. You know, and I mean, he's my husband. Imagine if he was just a producer and not my yeah, husband. No, sorry. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's really informative, like, wow, I'm not just a woman, but I'm a black woman on set. Yeah. And it's my film that I wrote and directed and I'm acting in some of the scenes as well. And actually, I'm actually having to ask people two or three times, like, can you move the light there? Can the camera come around like this? Because... They're like looking at me glazed. And then Emmanuel will say oh. something like, yeah, do what she asks. Can you move the camera now? Yes, boss. They can hear a male voice. They couldn't hear me. So do, do you know, know what? Those Claire, guys? you see, I'm very aware of this. Mm. So my all my work for the last 11, 12 years has been on camera. I haven't done theatre. So one of the things I was very, very mindful of, don't undermine my batty excuse my language here just don't undermine me so the team we got together mm. it was very very I was very clear yeah not to them going don't undermine me but about a vibe okay this is collaborative yes um this is collaborative so in terms of the whole body language thing I will make myself known at the top I don't want to have to necessarily want to raise my voice I want to have a team on board yeah that's understand that this story yeah. is more important than your ego or even mine cool. telling this story collectively is what is the most important thing and I need to know you feel that mm -hmm. and there's something about doing a short where you haven't got as much money as a feature where everyone you get on board they must love it because there isn't oh, really? any money involved you're right you're right. You I mean? you're right the energy is different because it's a labor of love for real real yeah absolutely so mm. everyone on it Okay. Even the, I mean, the cast and the crew, absolutely amazing, Aww. who went over and above and they would have had to, this is the thing, because it's not, this isn't for money, this is about a need to think that this story is important yeah. and we were in this together. So there was a whole thing of, so for example, there were little kids in it where I speak to the mum 
talk to the mums and when they got on set is it all right if I just yeah and I do a high five so there's an energy oh. with us and I could yeah that's it was a really lovely feeling because it wasn't about money yes yes I get you I get you but Super. I think picking the right team was yeah. always I've seen for example where um right here's me as an actor now there was a point where I was shouted at Ooh. yeah by a director across the way um as the camera was rolling and he said I can see your strength and in my mind this sounds willful because I do understand about telling a story collectively but this came out of nowhere not only that this was like episode four or whatever it was and I'd already established my character to show weakness when I've got literally six lines to turn it around and be strong. I don't understand that. And we haven't got time to start talking about this. You're not getting the weak version because you'll use it and it's inappropriate and it's wrong. Trust me. I know this woman. Right. I know this woman. I can see your strength. And in my mind, I'm going, okay, boo in my mind <laughs> we're cool but because you're not getting there's no time we're gonna waste a take of me being all weak it's not that woman trust me on this i don't have to shout being this character she's wow. one of those solid strong women that trust me on this but uh -huh. yeah okay. so that shouting a didn't appreciate mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. don't be shouting at me across the way and when I next saw him, I went off to do start something else abroad. And when I came back, I said, by the way, were you happy with those last couple of scenes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Because you were shouting at me. No, no, your work was great. I was just trying to push you. All right. Why do Maybe I have that I know who this is that you're talking about? I just thought, well, we're not doing that. I'm not going to go there. I know who you're talking about. And the joke is some trust. So okay. what I was trying to do beforehand, I understood that the process was quite technical. Yeah. So in lunch breaks, I talked to the actors, meaning when we get on set, you're not going to have the tender loving care that I could do because I've got to sort out the way the shot looks and how technically, how technically we get through it. So yeah. lunch breaks, I'd eat lunch with them when I was able to eat, sit, cotch with them, talk about where this is coming from, that the intentions in the scene we're about to do yeah. or... Um, the little girls send little bits that I needed them to look at because it's 70s, a little 70s song or whatever, and then talk to them about it. Okay. And just have moments where there were breaks if they're setting something up to talk about the next scene and how we're going to work that so I can get an energy before we get on set. So A, I don't have to shout. B, um, I don't, it, we didn't have time for the working out to be while a camera's right there. We need mm -hmm. to kind of go. So I kind of knew what I kind of wanted but I found my stride and my style clearly during this process because there was some hairy moments and going right Karen just walk off down the road for a second and just have a breather mm. walk up there for a second turn around a bit do a dance come back right I think we'll try this Got it. so the frustration is not seen yeah so you're right there are certain things where okay. I, yeah and because I produced stuff before you could I've had to play exactly what you're playing with grown men where mm -hmm. huh I've right where the first day was a right where the first day was not good and the second day I was like right I want to speak with the director and I'll speak with it 
but grown men going, right, this is what I need from you lot. So it all went to shit yesterday, but there were things that weren't done from you. You need to give a certain amount of time so I can get the actors to you or someone can get the actors to you in time and we're not wasting time on that end. And they were literally like this, but I broke down the rules, what I need from you, because you can (laughs) rubbish and chat about what, what went wrong. Yeah, yeah, let's succeed. Yeah, yeah. Hold hold on for one moment. Let me just introduce. So we are coming up to the last quarter. As always, you can WhatsApp us on 07548-806-927. Or you can live chat with us in the studio at Choice FM UK. That's 07548-806-927. I was meant to leave this at 5:30, but we got carried away um email us news at screenlately.com or you can send us a tweet or you can instagram us at screen lately this is the first at time on choice of film uk as we segue from afternoon into the early evening after we've done we're done here on the screen lately show my colleague afrilicious mama will be with you from six o'clock tonight with the cure and the cause don't forget to tune into all the other shows in the network find out more at choiceofmuk.co.uk. Karen, so yes. many anecdotes, so many tales of wisdom. That's the thing, like, you know, all the all that beautiful foundation you gave us at the top of the interview about your experiences as a black woman, black actress on and off screen, how things politically and personally have affected you or even just not affected you, but in a sense, yes, affected your mindset, how you're thinking, how you see yourself in the world. You know, talk to me about future plans because you've really done it all. You've been on theatre, you've done film, blockbusters, indies, you know, you've done TV, you know, from soaps, Shameless, all the way up to primetime BBC. People Mm -hmm. would say, you know, where next for Karen? Like, what does Karen Bryson want? Okay, so Karen Bryson has a feeling that Karen Bryson would like to direct more. Did you feel at home in that chair? Oh my God. Wow. I, it was quite extraordinary because something happens in the moment that I wasn't sure would. Mm -hmm. Um, And that moment when you're telling a story collectively, despite the fact that your time rushed or something, ways of creating collectively with a group of people is quite a beautiful thing. Wow. Um, There were moments where we were weather dependent and it wasn't happening. So thinking about a plan B and a plan C on the spot and going right, there's this bit, knowing every part of the story back to front and thinking I've got to trust myself, trust that I know it Mm -hmm. and trust I know how this can feel. Mm. Um, Are you involved in the edit? I will be, yes. That's Um, where you'll really see your vision come to life. I know. My editor had my film for 10 weeks and he just wasn't getting it. Me and Emmanuel moved into his yard in Sunbury on the 10th. Yeah. Yeah. For four days. Wow. Up, shout, we slept in his, he's got a side house on his house. Yeah. And we worked on it for 18 hours because they're like, Mum, because I need women, especially black women, to look at this and go, ha ha ha. Oh, no, she didn't. I need yeah. them to 
see themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Like the conversation, the feedback, it don't matter whether they're African American, they're Brazilian, they're Indian and dancing. They're like, Claire, I don't know how you took something so simple and made it. It's complex. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Because it is a complex. Yeah. It doesn't matter. People feel something when they see the characters. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, "Uh uh-uh, what? With what budget? Nah, mate, you need to explain. But and I'm like, I was involved in the edit. I had to be because it wasn't hitting those little Absolutely. experiences that I knew. And just even the, the choice of takes, like that's a better take. That angle where you see her silhouette, it's just a better take. Take that yeah. one. Yeah. And again, that's the difference sometimes between working with men and women and therefore working with people of color and, and non-color because our stories, when they are specifically about the black experience, I think if someone's not there in front and behind the camera from the, you know, from all facets of the value chain, then things get missed. Yeah. yeah, one of the things I want to say mm-hmm. um, moving forward is welcome. I welcome, I want the industry to welcome black HMUAs because before, previously, they didn't feel welcome and they'd end up on fashion and we've lost great, great potential. Mm. And now the debate's happening where as an actor, it's getting to the point where they either, I take full control because it's my face on screen and all the rest of it. And you're not cutting out my hair with a thingy bob irons and it's too, all of that. You either train or have a member of staff who understands that. If there is a diverse um, um, program or film there should that should be reflected in all departments especially HMUA and I, the, they've always turned away because they didn't feel welcome we need mm. to welcome them because welcome. the great ones are working the ones that existed are working they are working yeah which is great so there's a, a need get them trained up let them feel that they are welcome because mm. before it was a place just like behind the camera there's a big drive because it's, people didn't, young black folk didn't think it was for them. No, I didn't. You, you know, know what I mean? I left the from... industry and went into beauty as a therapist because I didn't think I could make it. I didn't think I could work and actually yeah. earn a living as a director, writer, or an actress. Yeah. My goal was to be the black British Nia Long. <laughs> right, right. Oh, I love Nia. Yeah. And, you know, seeing you was hope, but you know they were doing that tokenism of one in, one out. Now you, um, uh, uh, Lashana, everybody's working. It's not, okay, who's our token black for five years? Yeah, exactly. We're not doing that. Not doing it. And that sort of, God bless her, Tandiwe era, you know, where she was our poster child of what it was to be black British on screen. And we've seen her talk about herself recently. And I've always felt a funny energy with our sister Tandiwe, you know? We have to keep it 100. Lots of that, but sis, you I know, know. It, it was, you know, you rode the gravy train, you know what I mean? And you enjoyed. What were your feelings around that? <laughs> what, about the Sandiway? When I saw it, I just said to myself, I've always known that that was sitting. <laughs> I know. I've always known that that was sitting inside of you. Yeah. Her vibe is very clear. Yeah. There was a book that there was 40 of us in 
slaying your lane. Are you in slaying your lane? No. No. Okay. Slaying your lane. Big shout out to the to the um, the writers who interviewed all of us girls who shared our stories. Anyway, and it became thirty nine black women, black British women of of substance. Why? Because Tandiwe didn't feel that. Mm, she declined and didn't want to be in the book. You got me. You got Amma. You got Sharma. You got heavy hitters. Like, and she was like, "Well, you know." Interesting. Because I had a knee-jerk reaction to the, that interview. You know, what was a your really bad one? And I thought, oh. "Is it just me?" No, but I'm feeling away here. I didn't like the line about taking your men. That for me was like. Hello, good morning. <laughs> Ding dong. <laughs> Speak on it, because come on. Yeah, I. it's so complex because I went through a big gamut of stuff. I, it just didn't feel genuine for one, but I had a knee-jerk reaction where I saw somebody, one of the hard hitters, in response to it, and I knew exactly what she was talking about. She didn't even have to be explicit okay. with a little quote and her reaction to it, which is kind of what I feel, which is like exactly what you're saying. Oh, right, so now this is a different time. Some other stuff's happening, is it? And that that breaks my heart because, that breaks my heart because many of us have tried our hardest throughout this time and kept firm and did our little side gigs in the beginning and all the rest of it. And you come up with a statement like that and do do a bit of crying and I'm sorry. Um, I, it meant nothing. Yeah. And even with the tears, I felt nothing. I felt nothing. There's no sympathy, nothing. No I just sympathy. thought, please, please girl, please. No, 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 no. Because she had many opportunities. Okay, I'll just give you even an instance. I'll keep it 100. She had that blog, uh, Tandy and something, where she was um, helping black women get into the beauty industry, like getting into boots. And she did this whole big campaign. And the amount of people, Kay, that said to her, look at pre-made, Claire's there. Right, right. What she needs is- And vegan and all that. I was, like, I was yeah. the one. Yeah, you I were. before it was cool. Before it was, it was. It was. It what? was and every shade. Kay, you were my shade 15. Yes, I know. Oh my goodness. Stop now. Let's keep it one. That was like 2014. You were doing that years ago. So what did she say? She Oh dear. She ignored me. She I reached out. Hi Tandy. As a big sister, I really respect you. I love this platform that you're giving. Oh, de- interesting. And I thought, so when I see that, and that she's getting removed from this and that, I said, you know what? Karma is real, you know? Always yeah. be kind. You don't yeah. have to help everybody. I'm not saying that you have to help everybody. No. It's colorism. Is, so weirdly, your film was about what I felt she might be going through now. So this yeah. is the empathic part of me. Oh. The empathic part of me says, I'm sure it's complex for you yeah. as a biracial actress from back then. I'm sure there's some complexities that you may not have dealt with, but I don't know. So I'm gonna, that's the empathic part of me. In which case, shut your mouth. That interview did more harm. I suddenly went, really, girl, please. You know what? This is about 
bringing forward the next generation. It's about supporting one another, yeah. seeing support amongst our peers yes as well as up so I've got a big thing about women women supporting women and there's times when I've seen it and it's gone sideways and I'm like girl really right really right right, right. or with yeah yeah and it's not even necessarily about black women it's not a black woman thing no, it's a whole women know. thing yeah okay tell me your favorite song from a movie oh my gosh What's your favorite? um oh my gosh <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, oh my. It's a movie soundtrack. It's too much. Too many. Okay, I'm going to go Rocky. I have the tiger. Huh? I have the tiger. No, not I have the tiger. The other one um, by something Conti. Get it, tiger. Yeah, that one. All right. So we're going to play out. What is the name of that track? Uh, it's Bill Conti. In fact, I run to it. Okay. That's yeah, going to fly. It's Bill Conti. Going to fly now. Going to fly, Bill Conti. We're going to play out tonight's show with Bill Conti's Going to Fly. Karen Bryson, MBE. It's been an absolute pleasure. Ditto. Congratulations. I feel like we've got to, we need a lunch. I know, we do, we do. Lunch or something. We do. Congratulations. And your babies. Babe, you haven't even seen their pictures in the Choice FM UK.